So when we hear the story of John and Herod, I think the question before us is, who is responsible for John's death? Is it, is it Herod? Herod ordered the death. Or maybe it's the, the captain of the guard, the man who actually cut off his head with his sword. Or maybe it's the daughter who, who makes this request that, that he be beheaded. Or maybe it's Herodias the wife who who instigates the daughter to ask for this beheading of John. Because all of them have a role. All of them are, are culpable and complicit in some way with the death of John the Baptist. And yet each of them had an opportunity to make a different choice. Right? I mean... The captain of the guard, when he received this order, could have just gone to the prison and set John free. He could have made some excuse about how there was a scuffle or, or how he escaped or, you know, an angel let him free. We hear about that a lot in the Bible. There are lots of things the captain of the guard could have done other than cut off his head, but he was following orders, so he did it. Herod could have made a different choice too. He, he told his daughter that he would give her anything she wanted, up to half of his kingdom, he said. And, yet, and when she asked for this thing that he clearly, from the text, tells us, grieved him, that he thought was, was not something he wanted to do or even something that he should do, he followed through anyway. Because what? He was going to be ashamed if he, he had made this boast and couldn't follow through? Because he loved his daughter so much, he wanted to give her whatever it was she wanted. He could have said no. He could have said, no, Herodias, you ask too much. I can't give you that. It would be wrong. But he doesn't. It could have been the daughter when, the, when her mother told her to ask for this, this horrendous and heinous thing to be done. She could have revolted and said, no, mother, I can't possibly ask for something as terrible as that. It could have been Herodias, the wife. She feels aggrieved by John. John's been calling her names, probably. I mean, he's been saying that she shouldn't be married to the king because was, she was the king's wife, the king's brother's wife before. In our own history with King Henry VIII, we know of a similar problem about marrying your dead brother's wife and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And so there's still some debate about this. Herodias could have chosen to not be aggrieved. I mean, let's be honest with you. Herod wasn't going to divorce her. She wasn't going to stop being the king's wife. She wasn't going to lose any power or prestige or privilege because of anything John said. John's ranting off in the desert somewhere. He has no power to affect her position at all. And yet she still feels like she has to, to be hardened in her heart against him because of the things he says. Why? Maybe she recognizes there's some truth in what he says. Maybe she acknowledges that he's a holy man, but she's, she's more interested in her position than in doing what is right. Each of them is capable, culpable. Each of them had an opportunity to do something different. And each of them has a good reason for why they chose the choice that they made. Right? The captain of the guard is just following orders. He's, he's King Herod's man. That's the Lord. The Lord tells him what to do. He does it because if he doesn't do it, what's going to happen to him? Well, he's probably going to be out of a job at least. He may be executed himself if he doesn't follow through. 
And so he follows through and does this horrific act because he feels like he has no choice. He has to follow the orders. King Herod, because he feels he's going to be shamed or dishonored in some way if he makes this, this promise and then fails to follow through, as though, though his courtiers and the leaders of Galilee are going to somehow be, be put out and not follow him, he's still going to be the king. Who cares what they think? But he doesn't want to embarrass himself. He doesn't want to embarrass his daughter, maybe. And so he follows, though, even though he knows it's not the right thing to do. And Herodias, she just wants to, to honor her mother. She loves her mother. She wants to do what she can for her. She's a young girl. She doesn't know what she should do. And so she trusts her mother. And if her mother tells her to do this thing, she believes it's something she should ask for. And Herodias, we've already talked about her. That, that her grief at the things that John says drives her into this place of, of hardness and darkness and evil. So all of them are culpable. All of them could have made other choices. All of them feel that they had good reasons for the choices that they made. And I think that when we think about ourselves and our lives and as we go through our world day by day, we are faced with these same kinds of choices. Now they may not have the, the impact of beheading a prophet of God, but, but all of us are culpable for things that happen that we know aren't right. We may not be the ones committing them, but we participate in systems that result in, in hardship and difficulty and oppression for other people. We do it all the time. And we may not even think about it when we're doing it. Like, like my iPhone that I, is always in my back pocket. It's a wonderful device. I love my phone. I spend way too much time with it, I have to be honest with you. Right, but it gets me where I need to go. It keeps track of all of my calendar and appointments. I'm able to access email. It has hundreds of songs so that I can listen to whatever music I want to whenever I want to. It keeps me busy when I'm waiting at the doctor's office for an appointment. It's the most amazing device in the world. And yet to create it causes, you know, a lot of difficulty around the world. The minerals that go into it are, are mined and the money that the miners make pays for conflicts in Africa. The, the people in uh, Asia who, who actually put it together work under extremely difficult conditions that we would not put up with here in our own nation. The technological revolution that it represents has displaced workers around the world and, and caused problems with, with concerns about privacy and and the role of the state in, in, in monitoring us, that we're like under constant supervision by Big Brother through that thing. But you know what? It's good for me. And I think that that's how we kind of end up walking down that path where we become complicit in the evil that surrounds us. Right? Because there's, there's a form of the confession um, that we use sometimes, and in and, and part of the confession it says that we... we we confess the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Now of those three things, there's only one of which that is actually about me going off and doing something, the evil that I've committed. But we're equally complicit in the evil that enslaves us and the evil done on our behalf. Right? And whether that is, is a government official doing something that we know is not right and that we should stand up against or it's the leader of our of our church or our boss at work who asks his young female assistant to do something that no one should be asking 
and yet we kind of look the other way or we kind of go along with it because it's easier to do that than to stand up and face the consequences. Because ultimately, in the story of John and Herod, everybody is driven by the fear of what other people are going to do to them. They're afraid of the consequences of doing what is right, even though they know what is right. They're afraid of what other people are going to say or think or do. They're afraid of the consequences of their actions. But the promise that we are given as Christians is that, that we are offered this plumb line in the example of Jesus' life. That the most important thing that Jesus offered when he came to walk amongst us is an example of how our lives should be lived. That when we follow Jesus, it's not about just sort of agreeing intellectually with who he is or what he believes in, but about actually modeling our lives on the example that he gives of respecting the dignity of everyone he meets, as being true to the word of God, as being fearless and standing up against what is wrong, about bringing healing and reconciliation and peace to every relationship that he can. Those are the hallmarks of Christian life. Those are the things that we are called into. And the, and the glory of Christ's amazing gift in the resurrection and the salvation that we are offered through the cross is that we don't have to be afraid of what other people think or of anything else. Because no matter what happens to us, we are held together by the promise that God will be with us. And that even mortal death is not the final word in our existence. That Christ came that we might be empowered and emboldened to do what is right. To stand up against what is wrong. To name evil for what it is. And to deny it power. Because the gift of Christ's atonement is that the evil power that enslaved humanity has been broken. And so in our day, even though we live in a lot of darkness, the truth is that evil only has the power that we give it. It has no power of its own. It's only in the ways that we are complicit, the ways that we participate in systems of oppression and evil, the ways that we look aside when we know something wrong is happening, but we just, we just don't want to get involved. That's the power that evil has, what we give it by our indifference, by our fear, by our complicity. Jesus offers us another way and a promise that tells us that we will never be alone, and that we don't need to be afraid of anything so that we can stand up against that evil, stand against it, deny it its power, and begin to live in the kingdom of God here and now, even before Christ returns, when that kingdom will be fully present. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are invited to live in that world now, to not wait for Jesus' return, but to realize that the kingdom of God has come near and to rejoice and praise God for this wonderful gift that we have been given and for the plumb line of God's will that keeps us on the straight path and the example of Jesus' life that tells us how to live our own so that we can live in fearlessness and joy at the gift that Christ has brought us. Amen.